I will pray for us and we will dig into Hebrews chapter 1. King Jesus, this is your day. Uh, This is your word. And our lives are your lives. We want our lives to be in the gospel and in the reality that the burdens have fallen off. That we have freedom and life and rest. Because you died on a cross. Because you rose from the dead. Because you've made us your own. Because you're our God. You've forgiven us for our sins and you've given us life. Help us, Jesus. We are so quick to order our lives and orient our lives around other things than the reality of who You are. We can only do that if we see You for who You are, Jesus. And we can only see You if You'll show Yourself to us. And You promised if we draw near to You, You'll draw near to us. And today we want to draw near to You. Please help us, Jesus. We love You so much. And we pray these things for Your glory and for our joy in Your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, We will be in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 4 today. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to get up and grab one. Uh, If you don't own one, please take that home with you. Um, We are working our way through Hebrews a little at a time. Uh, And and, uh, today, we're going to talk about an issue that uh, isn't necessarily a big one or a big concern for you in your life at first, and that's the issue of angels. Um, I don't have a lot of people that I know that sort of elevate angels over the place where they belong, but that's the issue that's going on uh, with this group uh, in this, this group of uh, Jewish Christians who've come to see Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, but what's amazing about this text, it still says so much to us, uh, because what you're going to get after in their lives uh, is uh, the order of their lives and where their lives need to be ordered. And, and, and we have to be careful here because we have some nomenclature in the world that when you begin to hear me talk about ordering your life, uh, you might think that I'm talking about your schedule. I'm not talking about your schedule. I have no tips for when you should feed your cats or when you should let your dog out or uh, when you should hang out with your families. I've got none of those. Um, But what he's after with them is the order of what's going on in their minds and in their hearts. The order of what's happening inside because Christianity's inside out, not outside in. Number one rule of the gospel. It's about your heart first and then what comes out of your heart. And what's also important here uh, is he's getting after a particular kind of sin when he's talking about the order of their lives. Because these are people who are either, uh, we're not 100% sure, or maybe a combination of the two, there's maybe some people either sort of taking Jesus down to sort of level of angels so he's a little more socially acceptable to talk about, or they're people who are elevating angels to the point that they're taking the primary focus of these people's spiritual life. Um, and I think especially if you didn't come up in the church, when you hear the word sin, a lot of times we think uh, you know, drinking too much whiskey or whatever. Uh, but what's really important is that you understand that it's not just wiling out. And in fact, the sins we're talking about today are less liquor store skin- sins and more Christian bookstore sins. Uh, by that I mean the things of Christian spirituality that get elevated to their wrong place. And please don't go to the Christian bookstore and say, uh, Pastor Andrew said Christian bookstores are horrible. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying what's there, uh, there are things there that if they take the wrong place in our hearts and in our minds, everything else gets messed up. Okay? Everything else gets messed up. And what we need to see is we need to have our lives radically oriented around the reality of Jesus. Because it's really, really easy for it to do differently. Uh, We live in this world that's just inside, outside, spiritually. Uh, If we are not oriented around Jesus, we'll be tossed to and fro. Uh, Living in this world, I don't know if you've ever been hit in the head. Uh, Maybe that's just me. Uh, If you've ever been hit in the head, 
Uh, when you get hit in the head or when you wake up from a bad dream, uh, sometimes there's this lack of orientation to where you are. You wake up from a bad dream. Uh, you, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's happening. Uh, you bonk your head on the playground, uh, which I did with my kids recently. Uh, for a second, you almost forget where you even are. And, and so much of what happens to us in the world is we're just getting tossed around and we forget who Jesus is and who we are. But when we remember who he is and who we are and our lives are oriented around that reality, it changes everything. When our lives are oriented around the reality that the God of the universe has revealed himself to people, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he's done to give us life, to forgive us from our sins, to take all our running and rebelling and trying to be at the center of the universe and trying to be the most important thing on the world, at least to us and to everybody else, and actually help our hearts be oriented around what's actually important actually counts, and something far greater than ourselves or our circumstances, and that's Jesus. He's given us life, and he's ours. Let's go ahead and dig in. We'll start in verse 4. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We're coming off of uh, Hebrews 1-3, through 3, which is awesome, which you can read for yourself. But, but at the end of the day, what he's trying to do, what the, the author of Hebrews is trying to do is again and again in this letter show us that Jesus is it. That Jesus is the ultimate thing in life. And when you're there with Him and you understand what He's done to bridge the gap between you and God coming down for you, we have life. And he continuously is reminding them of life because they keep going back into the old things and the old life and having externals be the thing that counts in their life. And he's going to continuously draw them back to Jesus and he's going to do that with angels here today. And so he's saying, and you need to hear this, okay? Because if we can have an honest moment about being, I'm not sure if it's, I don't think it's just our church and I don't think this of you per se. As urbanite Christians, I'll say that. Uh, we have a tendency uh, to be very polemic. And when I, when I say that, I mean, um, if, if someone, and you might have this aunt who in 1985 bought the Billy Graham book on angels, which is fine, but who maybe elevated angels to the wrong place. You're like, yeah, Aunt Susie didn't get it. Aunt Susie got that book, and she thinks angels are awesome. It's angels this, angels that. Or maybe you didn't grow up in that home or have that relationship at all, but maybe you're from Georgia and you do. I don't know, Right? We have people from Georgia, so it's funny. Um, right? But, but the thing there that we tend to do is then say, um, we tend to get almost childish about it and say, oh, you're so into angels. Angels are stupid. Why are you into angels? I'm not into angels. I'm better than that. Hebrews doesn't say anything bad about angels. And in fact, celestial beings that God has created for his glory and to help human beings, the ones that are gods, he doesn't say anything negative about it at all. In fact, there's a lot of positive stuff about it. So he doesn't set him up as a polemic. What he does is he says, Jesus is better than anything, even angels. Even angels. He's not, he doesn't say anything unfavorable about them. He's not being polemic. He says, yeah, they're great. Just have them in their right order, in their right place in the universe, where they belong, under Jesus. Okay? And so he makes this comparison with them. And then in verse 5 having become as much superior to angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. Uh, this means that, well, he's already Jesus, so he's already better, but he's also Messiah who's coming to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. He's come and made himself conquering king on his cross, and he gets this name, Christ, the Anointed One. That's the name. He's the one. He's the one everyone in the Old Testament was waiting for to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. That means he's better than anybody. That's the name piece. 
And now we're about to do something interesting here in verse 5. Uh, he is about to lay it down. And he is just going to, he's going to go verse after verse after verse after verse. And if, if you're in a Bible that's set up that way, it'll be sort of indented. Or if you're in the NASB, it'll be all capitals. Because he's going to give a lot of scripture examples to prove his point about Jesus and angels. I want to help you be people who read your Bible for yourself first and foremost. And read your Bible better, Right? Uh, it's not just my job to read the Bible for you. I want you to be able to read the Bible for yourself. So two things real quick. Hermeneutical tip. That's a $10 word for how to read your Bible. Bible reading tip number one. If you're reading the Bible and there's a quote, go to the place where the quote comes from. Because a lot of times, as we'll see here in a minute, there's information the author wants you to get from the quote from back in the back. Um, this is really a great example of this is uh, Philippians chapter 2. There's a verse that says, Every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. A lot of people use this to justify what's called Christian universalism, saying, well, everyone's going to come to Jesus in the end. Except for that's a quote from Isaiah 45. And if you go to Isaiah 45, that can't possibly be what it means. And if in the context of Isaiah, that's not what it means. It means we're all going to bow and we're all going to confess those who love Jesus and say Jesus is it and Jesus has paid the price for my sins or those who will have to. It's clear from the context of Isaiah 45 and the rest of Isaiah. It's right there. But if you only take that one verse, it's the, it's the number one verse to justify universalism. But if you read it in context, you're like, no, that can't be it. Okay, so go to the quotes. Uh, the other thing... This is my third time teaching through Hebrews. Uh, it is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, and I feel like every time I come to it, it comes out differently because uh, God has one, one meaning here that comes out in 10,000 different ways because he's a poet and I love it. Um, but here's the deal. Hebrews is a sermon transcript. And later in the book, he's going to say, thank you for bearing with this brief word of exhortation. Uh, this is the book that I model my preaching after. This is very common first and second century Christian preaching. Uh, he preaches, if you read out loud, about 40 minutes. Then the other things that are really important. What you're about to see is he's going to go scripture, 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 scripture. Because I could make a point by telling you about feeding my cats or something. They meow and I don't like them and it irritates me like sin or whatever. And you're like, oh, cat story. Great. Everybody likes cats. I like cats. I have cats. I have cats. I like my cats. John in the morning. Great. Hello Kitty. It's a weird house. But here's the thing about those cats. Now see, then I just did it. See, I told you, and now you laugh, and you're like, oh, yeah, I like this guy because he's got cats. Um, that's why you tell those stories. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? Bible, 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 Bible. Connect the dots of the story of God to see something. And that's the third thing he does. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hebrews is a Jesus, Jesus, Jesus book, to be honest with you, like every other book in the Bible. But you see, in this first century preaching, he doesn't care what you think about him. He cares what you think about Jesus. I don't care what you think about me. I care what you think about Jesus. Okay? So I don't need you to think how awesome I am for having cats with clever names. Though my kids named them brilliant names. I want you to see Jesus. Okay? And the other amazing thing he does here as we dig in, we're just going to kind of rip through them and it's going to be awesome. So he doesn't go to them and he doesn't hammer on their will. What do I mean by hammer on their will? Hammering on someone's will where it's where you create a mechanism for an outcome. So he doesn't come to them and say, you guys are making angels more important than Jesus. Bad Christians. Do you know what Jesus did for you on the cross? You should be ashamed of yourselves. And then he shames them into being, oh, you're right, we shouldn't worship angels, we should do this other thing. 
He doesn't do that. He doesn't wail on their will. He doesn't set up a mechanism. Well, if you were real Christians, you'd really be into this. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that, and that's our tendency, because you can actually get people to do stuff. You can make people feel guilty and get them to do what you want, right? He doesn't guilt them. What's his method for sinking them back up to reality? Sinking them back up to having angels in the right place and Jesus in the right place. He shows them Jesus. So instead of saying, you should forgive that person, because if you don't forgive, you're a bad Christian. Bad Christian, you should forgive. Christians are forgiving people. Good people forgive. You say, Jesus has forgiven you. And when you can see how Jesus has forgiven you, that'll help you to forgive them. He doesn't do that. So he's not, he's not going to say bad Christians. He's going to say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. So let's go ahead and dig in. Right on top, verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say... The answer is none, by the way. Uh, For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Quoting Psalm 2, which is the most messianic, some of the most messianic scripture in all of the Bible. It's a verse that people would have read it and say, Look what God's going to do. I know it's hard right now. I know Rome is invaded. I know Persia's invaded. I know the Babylonians have invaded. I know we're in captivity. I know things are hard. I know people are being legalistic religious people. But God's going to send someone He's going to make all the sad things come untrue to use C.S. Lewis language. He's going to send somebody to do this. And Psalm 2 is all about it. He's saying, hey, remember this? Jesus is the one he promised. You're getting distracted with angels, and Jesus is the one who's come to lift all the burdens. Jesus is the one who's come to give life, not angels. But he doesn't need to say that. He just shows him Jesus. Okay, and then he goes on. Or again... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is a quote from 2 Samuel, and I have to look at my notes so I can remember, 7.14. And it's also quoted in uh, Psalm 98, I think. I think. The rest of the context for that is that right before God says that to David, God says, there's going to be a forever throne. And someone's going to rule on that forever throne forever, and it's going to be awesome and things are going to be put back the way they're supposed to be. And then he says to David, after he makes that promise about his ancestors, David, I'm going to be to you a father, and you're going to be to me a son. Now he applies that to Jesus. This is what's called pattern prophecy. You don't need to remember that, but as you're reading your Bible and you look at it, you're like, well, it seems like that thing was sort of fulfilled over here, but it's really, really fulfilled in Jesus. That's how the Bible tends to work. There tend to be these beginnings of the fulfillment of a promise, but it's not fulfilled unless it's fulfilled. It's not full, right? Its fullness comes in Jesus. Yeah, he said to David, I'm going to be to you a father and you're going to be to me a son. But how much more is that true of the eternal son? He's making that comparison. So in there, he's sneaking in a wink, wink. Jesus is also not only better than angels, he's better than King David. And it'll be like, King David? He's George Washington or whatever. George Washington was okay, but we named a state after him and stuff, so we have to like him. Um, Jill's kind of a weird guy, but I digress. Uh, anyways, verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says... Now, this firstborn language uh, doesn't mean that Jesus is created, uh, but it means a place of special honor. That he's it. He's the one. He's the one. Right? That's the point he's trying to get after. He's the one. He's the one. And again, when he brings the firstborn of the world, meaning his incarnation, he says, let all God's angels worship him, quoting Deuteronomy 32. Now, we don't read Deuteronomy that much, 
And we don't necessarily read Psalms all that much. They're really awesome. We should. They're great. Um, but first, second century, everyone, 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 everyone's using Deuteronomy and Psalms. There are Pharisees who are the sort of religious cats. They're temple guys. They're using them in the first, second century to say, we're looking for Messiah. We're looking for God's redemptive plan. This is it. Christians using Psalms and Deuteronomy a ton. Jesus in the desert quotes scripture at Satan. What book does he quote from every time? Deuteronomy. Right? Not only that, but even the guys who uh, are sort of the weird cousins, the Qumran guys, the Dead Sea Scroll guys, who've walked away from the temple and said it's all garbage, what books do they quote more than any other? Deuteronomy and Psalms. Uh, He's invoking the, the stuff that everyone would have been using to say, Jesus is it. Jesus is the one... We're all waiting for. We're all looking for Jesus. Jesus is, I mean, you see this with Jesus. He's always inviting those guys in. Come on and have life. If you see him being hard with Pharisees, always know because it's because he loves them. He wants them to stop and knock it off. So he quotes Deuteronomy. Let all God's angels worship him. This is at the end of Deuteronomy 32, which is at the end of this song that Moses sings right before he goes up onto a mountain to die. Right? This is the last thing, one of the last things that Moses does before he goes to die. Here's another wink. And we're going to see this in three. Jesus is better than Moses. Okay? Moses said there's going to be a prophet. There's going to be an awesome prophet. He's coming. He's going to be awesome. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is the better David. And Jesus is better than angels. We keep going. But now hear this, right? And so he doesn't say angels are bad. He doesn't say it's bad. He just wants them to have what they're doing in the right order, pointing to Jesus. Of the angels, he says, quoting Psalm 104, he makes his angels' winds and ministers a flame of fire. Uh, This is in the midst of a psalm that's talking about God's amazing creative acts and how he made angels awesome. I don't even know totally what that means, but it sounds cool. You know, this great poetic imagery. He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Always, always, they have this, he has this positive view on them. But of the sun, back to Jesus, so he took the side road to talk about angels. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is one of those uh, Trinitarian sections. God, your God, when you follow it. Your throne, God, is forever. But then in the rest of the verse, he talks about God. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. It's, it's, this, it's one of the Trinitarian Psalms that's pointing to this mess, foreshadowing this messianic reality of Jesus. And he's invoking it here to say, his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is it. It's him who's the guy who brings the kingdom, not the angels. He goes on. And you, Lord, laid the foundation, Psalm 102. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, I'm the Alpha, and I'm the Omega. 
The omega is the last letter. It's not Z. Z is in the middle of the Greek alphabet. I'm the A to Z, right? You've heard me said it, say it. If you've been with this church for, oh, I don't know, like five minutes, you've heard me say the gospel is not the ABCs of our walk with Jesus. It's the A to Zs. That's because Jesus says, I'm the A to Z. I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. He's the one who made it. He's the one that's going to put it back the way it's supposed to be when it's all said and done. Okay? Now, this is, this is not just saying, oh yeah, by the way, he's better than angels. This is tapping into the reality of what God's doing in the world. God made it. Human beings broke it. God made a promise to fix it. God inaugurated that fixing work as Jesus came into history as a human being, lived the life we were supposed to live, died the death we deserved, crushed the beef between us and God, saved us from ourselves, and gave us life in His resurrection. The Gospel is not just that He paid the price for our sins, and He did, praise the Lord. But in paying the price for our sins, He gave us freedom. He knocked off every weight, every cost of the love of self and self-centeredness, and He knocked it off. He paid the price on the cross. He bled and died to make us free. To give us life. And sometimes, sometimes this life in this world doesn't feel like that full Old Testament promise that everything is gonna, every tear is going to be wiped from every eye because it's not all said and done yet. Jesus is going to come and He's going to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. And this world is going to be changed. It's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. And it's going to pass from this form to another form. And Jesus is going to do it. And He started it on His cross. And He's going to finish it. And we're going to be there with Him forever. If you're His. Now, why does He say that? Because the angels are even involved as you read texts like that. But Jesus is the one who does it. And by the way, he's the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the one whose days, no, uh, years will have no end. And he's the one that's forever. And he invites us in to that. To enjoy him forever. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So this is Psalm 110. I think it's verse 2. Verse 1 says this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for my feet. Okay, that's cool, lords and stuff. Uh, that only makes any sense to me when I'm playing Castle Legos with my kids or whatever. Like, lords, I don't know what's even happening here. Uh, he wants us to think about that. In fact, Psalm 110 is the single most quoted Old Testament passage in all of the New Testament. Okay, that's the one they keep coming back to because there's something really, really special there. Uh, as you read your Bible, another Bible reading tip. Capital L-O-R-D. Or, in a weird spot in Amos, capital G, capital O, capital D. That's the, the name of God, the proper name of God, Yahweh. And you've got to be careful when you use that in the right context because uh, if you're doing ministry with Jewish folks and you say that, they're not going to like it very much because it's a holy name they don't even say. They don't put the vowels in when they write it and they use words like tetragram to describe it. Um, so we want to be respectful as we're understanding that, as we're trying to show people. And that... God is Jesus, by the way. That Messiah is Jesus that's coming. But why is this an important text? Do you know the word that they used instead of or in place of that often? Not the tetragram. The other one was Adonai. It means Lord. That's a particular kind of Lord that you can nerd out on your own on all the cool intricacies of that word. But they used that word to replace it. Now there's a problem then when you're translating it because it says, because then if you translate Yahweh Adonai there, it goes, Adonai said to Adonai, 
wait a minute. So Yahweh said to Adonai, this word that's often in the Old Testament used for God, that's why they use it, because it's like a lot of times it's used for God. A fair translation is, God said to God, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That word footstool is used a few times, but it's always in the context of things like this. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. It's always used for God. So God says to God, this God thing about the footstool. Wait, there's two gods there? No, it's one God in three persons. It's called the Trinity. Uh, you also see that in Genesis 18. Yahweh's doing one thing over here. Yahweh's doing another thing over here. And in the verse, you're like, are there two Yahwehs? Well, depends how complex you want to get with your monotheism. Yes, there are two. God the Father, God the Son at work. And that's why they're tapping into this. Because they're saying, angels are neat. We're going to see how neat they are in a minute. But they're not God. And Jesus was. So here we go. Verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Hear what he says about the angels? Verse 14. This is how he closes down the section. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Don't throw them away. They're awesome. I mean, they're so awesome that in Revelation 22, John sees one and starts bowing down and he says, what are you doing? I'm created like you. Stop bowing. I'm not God. Don't do that. That went really poorly for an angel once. Don't do that. <laughs> Get up. Get up. I'm not God. Jesus is God. Because why? Because the angels have their priorities right. Angels aren't confused. Isaiah 9. Cherubim. They've got six wings, which sounds like scary to me because I grew up in CGI generation, right? Six wings, because I can imagine it, because I've seen it on TV, uh, but I, you can't. You know what I mean? CGI's got nothing on that. But they think they, they point to God so clearly, two of their wings are to cover their eyes because they don't even want to look at him because he's so amazing. And two are to cover their feet as a sign of his holiness and their feet not being feet being feet. And then two they fly, because you've got two more. Um, and what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Set apart and different from all, and this is me saying what they're, you know, unpacking. Set apart and different from all of his creation is God in all of his beauty and all of the weight of his amazing, you know, you run out of words when you start talking about his amazing being. The angels don't want credit. They want to point that to Jesus. Why? Because they've got their order on straight. They've got their orientation right. They know. God's angels know. All of that belongs to Jesus Point it all at him. And even this here. Are they, not all, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those or to inherit salvation? How deeply committed to you is God? How deeply committed is God to you being someone who enjoys that beauty and that glory for his glory and your joy not because you're the all-star on the team, but because he is a gracious, merciful God who displays that grace and mercy as he pours out his love on us. How deeply committed is God to you? Well, he's deeply committed enough that angels are real. They're not to be made fun of. And they're not to be made, if I may, into a statue where Santa Claus is holding the baby Jesus and there's an angel around him. I don't know what that thing's about. 
They're to be things that point us to how much, how glorious and gracious and merciful God is. That He would even create celestial beings and send them out to help you. How gracious and good is God that Jesus entered into human history to die for you? To give you life. How gracious and committed is God that it says in Romans 8 that Jesus is at the throne of the Father interceding on your behalf as we speak. And all of those things are not meant for us to say, "Woo, I must be awesome. They're to help us get our orientation right. They're to help us praise Him for His mercy and for His grace and for His love. They're there to praise Him for what He's doing in our church right now. As He's at work in all these ways in all of our lives. He's bringing you to completion. He's bringing you to glory. To show His glory and His grace and as a display of how merciful and wonderful He is to the whole universe. And all this is meant to get our priorities straight. Now here's our problem. When we say priorities straight, this is usually what we mean. This is usually what we're talking about. That guy needs to get his priorities straight. What do we mean when we say that guy needs to get his priorities straight? It means usually one one of a few things. Uh, He's a person who is, he or she, is a person who's uh, banking on tomorrow for today. Today's what counts. Tomorrow doesn't matter. Uh, It's, you know, QVC and credit cards and Mountain Dew instead of hard work. I don't know. You're banking on today, not tomorrow, right? B.F. Skinner, not a very nice guy all the time. Last public thing he did was a commencement speech. Yay, invite him to talk to the college kids. What does he do? Speaking to this group about environmentalism, he says, honestly, I think we're all in a lot of trouble. I don't think we're going to make it. Because people know that smoking causes cancer, and yet they still smoke. They're trading in today for tomorrow. Man, if we can't stop smoking, how the heck are we going to save the earth? That was his summation. Um, as Christians, we want to be good stewards. God created this thing. We want to take care of this thing. We want to walk with other Seattleites as we take care of this thing. It's his, his creation, and we get to be stewards of it. But B.F. Skinner has a really good point. We do like to trade in tomorrow for today. Right? We're not very good at banking on tomorrow. Um, we can mean that. We can mean the priorities are off. Usually means you're being selfish and you don't care about other people. Right? Uh, you're being self-centered instead of other-centered. Uh, or priorities being off, um, just plain and simple chasing after the wind. You look at someone and say, that guy's after stuff that's just going to... No one cares about your amazing fishing boat in 300 years when it's dust. Chasing the wind. Right? What do I mean by it? Right? Because we could wrap a bow on that and say, hey, you know... Uh, A's aren't everything, keep going. And you say, well, of course I know A's aren't everything. Or, of course I know money's not everything. Or, hey, I know today's not everything. The problem is, is that we all would say that, and we'd all agree with that, but none of us actually live that out. If our lives aren't oriented around the reality of who Jesus is. If our, our lives aren't rightly oriented around enjoying Him first, loving Him first, pointing to Him first, seeing His beauty first, and letting the love that He has for us spill out into the rest of our lives. Right? Because again, that's all a mechanism we're rigging, right? Uh, don't do too much QVC today because tomorrow they're going to send you to collections. Yeah, that's wise. Yeah, don't do that. 
you got a QVC problem, let's talk afterwards. Like, Jesus loves you, you don't need whatever they sell on the samurai swords. Um, right? But again, all that's happening there is you're just reorganizing the chaos. Oh, if I go into debt from BMG at 14, I won't be able to buy a house when I'm 30. That's what my mom thought. I was talking about it this morning. No, don't order the CD. Don't get that Elastica CD. You've got to pay for it. It'll send you to collections. You'll never buy a house. It'll ruin your credit. Thanks, Mom. She was a banker, right? Well, that's just reorganizing the chaos. That's just trading one thing that's passing away for something else. That's just one more mechanism wailing on the will. There's more to life. There is more to life. His name is Jesus. Okay, so what do we do then, right? If we miss the order, we miss the point. They miss the point of the angels. We, it's easy to do this, right? You miss the point of spiritual disciplines. You miss the point of the Sunday gathering. You miss the point of community group. You miss the point of discipleship. You miss the point of your Bible. You miss the point of your kids. You miss the point of your family. It's all to point you back to Jesus. It's all for you to live in response to Jesus. And the scary thing about the uh, Christian bookstore sins versus the liquor store sins, when you're in these guys over here, you know you're miserable. You know there's more to life. You just don't know what it is. When you're over here, no one says, so, I see that you're frequenting the Christian bookstore on a regular basis, buying songs of praise to Jesus, books about things about Jesus. Uh, you're, going, you're filling your calendar with church stuff. That's great. And don't walk around being the heart police trying to call people on it. But we have to watch our hearts and see that this is all about Jesus. It doesn't terminate on the angels. The angels don't want it, clearly don't want it to terminate on them. It's all to point us back to Jesus. So what do we do with our lives then? Well, I think we reject, we redeem, and we reorder. Uh, there are things in your life when you meet Jesus that you just got to go. Places you shouldn't go. People, unless you're, you're able to evangelize to them and love them, you probably shouldn't hang out with. Or at least you need to reorder that maybe. That's probably a better way to say that. But there's stuff that you shouldn't do that you used to do. So stop it, right? Chapter and verse, don't do this. Okay, got it. Thank you. Okay, redeem stuff. Cool, you make art, you play drums, you go to the grocery store. Well, I used to go to the grocery store as a sinner who went there to buy too much Ben and Jerry's. What do I do? Do I stop eating Ben and Jerry's? I want to eat Ben and Jerry's, I like Ben and Jerry's, just get Ben and Jerry's in the right place, redeem it, right? Yeah, keep eating, right? It's eat. Uh, Play drums, play good drums to the glory of God. Play awesome drums to God. Make good art for Jesus. Okay? Redeem it. It is what it is. Just do it for Jesus. Do it overtly for Jesus. But there's things that need to be reordered, and maybe this is more where the Ben and Jerry's goes, right? So right now I go and I buy three pints of Ben and Jerry's, and I go home and I eat them all, and I have a good time and all, but it's a lot of Ben and Jerry's. Well, yeah. Try portions. Okay? Enjoy the Cherry Garcia Enjoy all its hints and notes, but know who made every little piece and have it in its right place. I'm into angels. Cool. Be into angels to the glory of God is the thing that points you to Jesus. Put it in its right place. You you meet Jesus and you're a workaholic. Do I quit working? No. Don't quit working. Work differently. 
Work for Jesus. Work in a way that it's reordered. Well, how do we do that then, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, we find us, ourselves uh, a slave to our own priorities. You know, if um, getting A pluses instead of A's is your priority, you will put a lot on the chopping block to get the A plus. If how much your job thinks you are awesome, if the thing that you're living for is your job giving you a pat on the back and everyone thinking you are amazing superhero work guy, to do that all the time, you're going to have to make some sacrifices you don't want to make. Do I want you to do well at work? Yeah, work hard for Jesus. I want you to say, I want people to say at work, yeah, the Christian guy. I don't believe anything that guy believes, but that guy works harder than anybody. That guy works more honestly than anybody. But I also want to see when you say on Wednesday, and they're like, hey, we need you to work Thursday. Say, sorry, I'm with my kids Thursday. Well, you got to work Thursday. i gotta, I got to keep things straight here. i got to keep things straight here. And that's more complicated than it seems, but we'll get there in the next several seconds. Okay. So then what does it look like to orient this around Jesus? Um, if you've done engagement stuff with us, with me and my wife, as we've walked with people getting ready to get married, you've probably heard us say two things. One, the order of your life as a married couple is Jesus, spouse, kids, church family. And when I say church family, I don't mean you killing yourself so uh, uh, our website looks cool. I mean taking care of the people that you're doing life with, right? I'm not talking about the institution. I'm talking about the people, right? We'll get that stuff figured out. What I really care about is the people you're sitting next to right now, okay? Um, And then work. Now, here's the problem with that. And this is the next thing I would say to you if you're sitting on my couch when you're talking about it. So if work's my bottom priority, what am I going to do when i got to feed my wife and my kids? Oh, well, it doesn't seem to be a linear point by point. It's actually messier and more confusing than that. It's not as cut and dry. Uh, that, that There are times when you have to say, if I do that, then I betray my wife and my kids, and this is not a job I will work, and I trust Jesus with it. And there are times when you say, the window's not in the building and I can't go home even though it's quitting time because I can't leave this window because then they're not going to have a window in their bathroom and then I'm going to get fired from my job because the window took longer to go in than I thought it was. That's complicated. Life's complicated. It's more complicated, right? So it's, it's not as linear as it seems, right? Because if you're like, well, I have to take care of my church family, but you do that so much that you get fired from work and then you can't put food on the table for your wife and kid. Oh, jeez. Life's complicated. Right? I think that's really complicated. The thing is keeping that orientation rightly around Jesus as we do it because here's the deal. We are told a lie. You want to know a lie that you're told? You've been told 15 million times? If you find a job you like, you will never work a day in your life. Behind that is that the main deal with you getting a job is getting a job you like. I have a job I love, by the way. You think I've never worked at my job? I've worked at my job, Right? If you have a job you love, it doesn't mean you're not going to work. It means you have a job that you love that you're working at. But what do I do if I don't get to have the job? I want to sell bass uh, 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 fishing gear for my whole life. I want to tie flies for my whole life, and that's the job that I love. Well, there's not a lot of money in fly fishing in Seattle. I'm sorry. You're going to have to move if you want to and be good at it and move to Montana. So take it or leave it. My dad worked this job. He worked at a cement factory. If you've ever worked at a cement factory, I'm sorry. It's crazy. I'm not sorry. I'm prou- I don't know what to say there. You're awesome. 
My dad worked in a job in this thing that I don't even understand called a clinker, or he was shoveling clinker is what he did. And they would go in, and it was so hot, and the stuff that made the concrete was so hot, he would go in, and he would have to wear heavy clothing so he didn't catch on fire. they throw a board down on the hot clinker because their boots would melt. they jump on the board, and they shovel clinker until the board catches on fire, at which point in time they jump off the board, shovel hot clinker onto the board to put the fire out, and then shovel the clinker back off before it catches the board on fire again, and then jump on before their, belt, their, their boots melt and have to get out. Woo! It's so hot in the room that they work for 15 minutes and take 10 minutes off. They drink water all day, and they, they, it goes, it don't, nothing happens, it just evaporates. What do you have that job? What if that's the job that God has provided for you to love your wife and your kids? Well, the guy who loves his job, he's never going to work a day in his life. Right? That's not the highest priority. The highest priority is Jesus. Right? Keeping that order right, it's Jesus. And so how do I shovel clinker, whatever the heck that means, Dad, uh, for the glory of God? I am not owned by the clinker I shovel I am owned by King Jesus. This is what he has provided. And as I shovel that clinker, I can remember, I am hot, and there's food on my table, and Jesus is awesome. Shovel, shovel, jump out quick, go. Remember why you're doing what you do, because if you forget why you're doing what you do, it will get out of order, you will get messed up, and you won't, you won't get it. Kevin Foster like a second dad growing up. Jake's dad was a longshoreman. Biggest dude you have ever seen. And I will spare all the awesome big dude stories. Uh, he was an intense guy. He had like a longshoreman thing tattooed on his arm and a longshoreman thing on his car. But the thing that I knew about Kevin is that he didn't live for longshoring. That wasn't the priority in his life. He worked really, 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 really hard because he knew there was more to life, right? Now, I can say that, and we all, yeah, there's more to life, great. Take a vacation and go to France. Yeah, you can go to France. I hear France is awesome. They eat snails. That has to be cool. I don't care. Like, that's cool. They have tools for it. I saw it in a movie, right? But why do we do anything that we do? It must be oriented around Jesus. This happens with our kids, right? Is that you want your kids to be good kids or you want them to be God's kids, right? You're like, I want my kids to behave. So what do we do? I have a mechanism, right? Uh, if you don't eat your broccoli, then no dessert for you. Broccoli gets eaten. Um, share with your sister or I will take away all your toys. I'm sharing. Is he sharing out of his heart or is he sharing out of the don't take the toys away? Now, I'm not saying there's not consequences, and I'm not saying dessert first, welcome to the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying to have your kids' hearts oriented around reality, we have to have a thousand micro-sermons with our children that go something like this. You don't have to do that. I won't do that. But they go something like this. Right there with them, nicely, softly, hey, I know it's really hard to share right now. And here's the reality. Jesus came down for us, buddy. And we have everything in Jesus. So your Duplo Legos 
can be shared because you have everything. And guess what? I guarantee you, you sit down with your four-year-old and you say that, and the, the result will probably not be, oh, can I be baptized right now? <laughs> it's not that. It's a thousand micro-sermons where you're helping orient them and you to reality. It's I'm getting back in the clinker one more time because this is the job that Jesus has provided and I'm going to serve him and serve my kids and I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to shovel that clinker till my boots melt because this isn't my life Jesus is my life and all of this at the end of the day all of this at the end of the day in the chaos of the day takes really trusting Jesus Trusting who he is, trusting with today, trusting with tomorrow, trusting his word more than you trust some parenting book your you know, distant relative gave you or whatever. You know, Trusting Jesus, trusting his word, and using that even as a filter to read the book your aunt gives you, but keeping it in the right priority. Chewing up the fish and spitting out the bones. Remembering who Jesus is and what he said. Because if you let your priorities rule you or you're just shuffling around chaos, there's no freedom there. Jesus invited you into life. Life happens you realize Jesus is the king who loves me, so I love him and I love others. He's paid the price for my sins so I can forgive others who sin against me. Uh, he took the cross for me so I can turn the other cheek. This is what he's done and this is who he is. And we have to have our whole lives oriented around him. Let's pray. Our king Jesus, this is your day. Help us. We're already distracted by whatever's coming when we get out of here. Help us have our lives synced up and oriented around you and what you've done and what it looks to live our lives in you to seek first the kingdom. What it looks like for us to know and enjoy you with everything we've got. We're praying for life, God. This isn't a burden. This is freedom. This is life. And we're just asking for, we're praying for life in abundance and your love in abundance and your spirit in abundance that we would live to know you. We would live to live by your word and by the power of your spirit and that you would change the mundane realities of Wednesday afternoon when the window won't go in the building. And you would change the mundane realities into us seeing the cosmic reality of what you're doing in the world, King Jesus. We love you. We pray for the city that they would taste and see that you were good. They would know your joy and they would live for you. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Jesus Christ, amen.